Our gospel reading is from Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21, and I invite you to follow along on the screen as I read that aloud for us today. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, and he found where the place where it was written, saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And so now, gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, during this pandemic and during the early months especially, which seems like, you know, a lifetime ago, seven years, ten years maybe, uh, jigsaw puzzles were a popular thing. In fact, one puzzle manufacturer reported that he sold more jigsaw puzzles on one day in March 2020 than the entire month of December in the year ahead before that. It was very quickly outpacing supply and it became a hot thing to find a puzzle. In fact, I pictured a lot of people like selling puzzles out of the trunk of their car at an outrageous market value. Or maybe, you know, suburban neighbors gathering at the fence line, bartering, I have a puzzle, do you have three rolls of toilet paper? Let's do a deal. How many of you worked a puzzle during those especially early months of the work from home quarantine pandemic? I see a few hands here. Maybe those of you online, maybe you can comment, did you become a puzzle participant during our pandemic? Now, if you've ever worked a jigsaw puzzle, you know some of the tricks, right? You start with the edges, make sure you have that all in place, and then you kind of group all the other pieces by color, maybe put them on a, a pile or maybe a paper plate, or if you're really fancy, one of those nice little plastic trays made just for puzzles. But one of the most important helps to completing a puzzle is the picture on the box. You refer to it often. In fact, one pandemic puzzle enthusiast said that she always picks a puzzle based on the picture and that she wouldn't mind staring at it for hours. Without a picture on a box, you might get lucky. It might take a lot longer, though. It would be a lot more difficult. And more complex the puzzle, the more critical that picture is on the front. I mean, a 25-piece children's puzzle is not too bad for most of us. I might still struggle. But a 2,000-piece puzzle of a field of grass, 
Well, that picture comes in really handy if you're looking for little different shades of colors. You see, to bring wholeness from all those broken pieces, we really need a guiding image. I was complaining to someone the other day about how it's so difficult to live in this world of constant chaos and disruption. I mean, plans are constantly changing, and it's not just plans, right? It's guiding instructions. Wear masks, but but not those masks. You know, two shots, no, three shots. Uh, Quarantine for 10 days, or no, just five days, but only if you're symptomatic. We're doing the best that we can. There's a lot to learn during this pandemic to keep each other safe. But it can be exhausting and disorienting. And it made me think of ballet. Ballet dancers are known for constantly turning in a circle without getting dizzy and disoriented. I mean, these days, if I stand up too fast, I'm likely to go down. But for them, they use a technique called spotting. And as a dancer turns, spotting is performed by rotating the body and the head at different rates. And while the body rotates at this smooth, relatively constant speed, the head sometimes takes a quicker turn to find a spot in its destination to focus on. And better than me trying to describe it, I found a YouTube clip to show you. Let's watch. Isn't that fantastic? Beautiful and graceful, but you noticed her body moved at the same rate, but that head flipped around quicker so that she could find something to focus on on the horizon, her point, her spot. Maybe even sometimes it's another dancer, and they focus on that spot, and it can move. Well, in our text today, Luke gives us our consistent orientation, our spot, to help us not become disoriented in all the chaos of life. Luke gives us a picture on the puzzle box of life where we can fix our gaze so that we can see the beautiful overall big picture that we are making with all of our individual pieces and choices. Now other gospel accounts place this story of Jesus speaking in the synagogue in chronological order. You see, by the time that Jesus unrolls the scroll among those that are assembled there that day in Nazareth, he's already performed some miracles and healings in some places. He's called his 12. He's amazed and he's confused people with his parables and his more questions than answers approach. But Luke positions this event towards the beginning of his gospel account, not because it's first in time, but for Luke, it's because it's so important. Luke really wants us to know that this passage of what Christ is doing today is speaking, sets the stage for everything yet to come. You want to know why Jesus performs those miracles or those healings? This is why. You want to know why Jesus called the 12 and what he calls them to? This is why. Luke is saying that you are not going to understand how the pieces all fit together, the stories I'm going to tell you, unless you can see the big picture. And so I'm going to give you it, one that you won't mind staring at for hours. And the picture in his story today is Jesus standing among this crowded gathering of believers and doubters and curious onlookers. They're crowded in wonder at this hometown wonder who they've heard stories about. See, this is just not another Sabbath at the synagogue. There is something electric in the air today, something electric that happens when hope and hesitancy mix together. 
I mean, you can almost smell it like a spring storm that's coming when that, that warm, moist air rises to meet with the cold air above it. Something is brewing in Nazareth. It smells like rain, maybe even a storm. Jesus stands to read and is handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolls it, and it says he finds the words that he is searching for, and he begins to read to this charged gathering, saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, it's really important to Luke when he writes his gospel stories that we know that Jesus' work is accompanied by and empowered by God's Spirit. The Spirit is a main character throughout much of Luke's gospel. It guides and empowers ministry. And prior to chapter 4 here in Luke, the Spirit has descended on Jesus in baptism. The Spirit has led Jesus into the wilderness for testing. And now filled with the power of the Spirit, Jesus reads a passage from Isaiah that says the Spirit of God is resting on him, the long-awaited Messiah, anointed to bring good news. So Jesus rolled up the scroll after reading, gave it back to the attendant, and then sat down to teach, as was the custom. Have you ever wondered what that might have been like? Was it like the longest 60 seconds ever for the people gathered there? I mean, did Jesus walk slow just to mess with them and build the anticipation? Or did Jesus walk slow because he knew the next words that he uttered would be ones that would cost him. You know, that today's adoring crowds would become tomorrow's hostile crowds. Did all the whispers and the murmurs already start, or did they begin after Jesus said his next words, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing? The one who brings wholeness to all the brokenness has arrived. I am he. I'm not only speaking the word, I am the word in the flesh. I am the one to fix your eyes on. I am the picture to guide you. I am your spotting point. Believe in me, follow me, join me in bringing good news to the poor and exploited, the oppressed and depressed, the ones who cannot see and the ones who feel unseen. And like Christ, we the Christ that we follow, empowered by the same Spirit of God, we are invited to to bring life to these words of Isaiah, to put skin in the game. In the 1890s, Margaret Dunlap Gibson and Agnes Smith Lewis, twin sisters from Scotland, traveled to Egypt to study some ancient manuscripts at St. Catherine's Monastery. And nestled at the the base of Mount Sinai there, this is a place well known for many treasures from the early days of the Christian faith. And one of the books that they studied there is known as a palimpsest. It's a, a manuscript that has been nearly erased so that a new text can be written on it. It was a practice that was very common when a time when writing materials were very scarce. And the process of erasing the pages made from this paper or parchment or animal skin or whatever they used usually involved washing and scraping it, which often would leave remnants of the original writing barely visible. It's kind of like a chalkboard in the old days of classroom, which wasn't meticulously erased, or a dry erase board where someone has written on it, but there's still marker residue, yet someone writes some new content on top of it. 
Now, the palimpsest that Agnes and Margaret studied told the stories of the women saints that were really respected in the early years of Christianity. Some of what we call the desert mothers who gave up comfort and safety and even their lives to follow Christ. And their stories of these women were written down during the late 8th century. And when Agnes studied the palimpsest a little bit more closely, she discovered that these stories of these women of the faith were actually written on top of the four Gospels. Those Gospels written on that same material nearly 400 years earlier. You see, the Gospel narratives were written under these stories of the women, and it turned out to be some of the oldest editions of the Gospel ever discovered. Writer and minister Jan Richardson reflected on these discoveries of these sisters by saying, the pages of the manuscript, with their layers of text, make visible what happened in the very lives of these women of the early church. By their devotion, by their dedication to preserving and proclaiming the gospel message, the desert mothers became living palimpsests, the story of Christ shimmering through the sacred text of their own lives, the word of God fulfilled in them. You see, their lives were written on top of the good news, both literally and spiritually. Christ was visible through every line of their lived stories. When Jesus gathered there and he read these words from Isaiah, he layers himself on this ancient text. And as followers of Jesus, we layer our lives on top of his becoming living palimpsests where Christ is not erased nor diminished by us, but instead it's visible through all the lines of our lived stories. When Isaiah first uttered these words to the Israelites, they were a discouraged and defeated group of people. They'd seen captivity and poverty. They'd heard stories of the good old days of Israel, but those days seemed long gone, generationally gone. Their world had been spinning and disoriented for generations, and they were a disoriented people. They had plenty of brokenness, but no guiding image that they remembered or held on to. But then this prophet Isaiah started announcing a word of the Lord and gave them a picture to fix their gaze on, and hope began to grow. And when Jesus chooses this passage to read to the people of Nazareth, it is a reminder to them as well to hope again. And these words offer hope to us today as well. We've been given a spotting point, a guiding image that is not only hope for us, but hope for others as well. Jesus, filled with the Spirit, announces who he is what his mission is, and what his church will be and do. Jesus' purpose is to bring good news to the poor and disregarded. And empowered by the Spirit, that is our purpose too. Jesus' work is to take apart unjust systems and to call out abuse of power wherever it's found. Our work is to do the same. Jesus' ministry is to liberate, to heal to forgive, to restore, to reconcile. Our ministry is to do the same. Not just in the future, but now, today. 
I don't know about you, but life may seem a little bit disorienting right now, maybe broken, maybe some hopelessness for you. I mean, maybe like me, your eyes are darting around at every latest headline or worst case scenario or unjust act of another. I mean, maybe you feel like you're spinning just in life from a recent health diagnosis or yet another cancellation to plans. Maybe you or someone you love is holding a pile of brokenness, broken relationships, broken dreams, or just simply your own brokenness. And you just don't see how God can make something out of all those pieces. Well, perhaps like those who gathered hopefully in the synagogue that day in Nazareth, you too desperately need to hear some good news. And you wonder if Jesus will have any for you. He sits down, he looks you in the eye, and he says, I do. I do. I have come to announce good news to the poor, freedom to the burdened, sight to the blind, hope to the hopeless. The good news is for you, and it is for all. Bishop Karen Oliveto said that our sense of belovedness is our grounding. Our sense of belovedness is our grounding. Our own hearing and accepting of the good news of Jesus for us is what grounds us. Believing that we are deeply loved by God because of who God is and not because of what we do or what we fail to do is the unshakable foundation that we're invited to build our lives on. And it is from this foundation, as the beloved people of God, embraced by Christ and empowered by the Spirit, that we join them in bringing good news to all. You see, grounded in love, we have nothing to fear. Grounded in grace, we have nothing to hoard. The good news of Christ is for all even if the good news is not welcomed by all. You see, not everyone gathered there in Nazareth was really happy to hear what Jesus had to say. Because you see, good news for all can sometimes mean bad news for some. And we're going to take a look at that more next Sunday. But for today, in our world of constant chaos, we're reminded that there is a much more important, trustworthy constant for us, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the spotting point when the world is spinning. Jesus is the picture that guides us when all we see and all we feel is brokenness. Jesus is the one who grounds us when everything else in life seems up for grabs. May we never tire of staring at him. May we be living palimpsest where Christ shines through the lives of and the lines of our individual stories and our collective story as this church. And may we joyfully and wholeheartedly partner with Christ in proclaiming the good news for all. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, you Bring good news to the poor. Let us hear.
you bring healing to the brokenhearted, heal us too. You bring freedom to the prisoners. Christ, free us from what imprisons us as well. For it is in our hearing and our healing and our forgiveness, God, that Christ is made real in us and through us. Loving God, help us to fix our gaze upon you. Remind us that we are the ones in whom Christ dwells and delights. We live in the unshakable kingdom of God. The kingdom is not in trouble, and neither are we. Amen.